And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. It's a murder. It's the perfect murder. In a world abuzz with true crime, one reporter thinks he's found the case that will propel him to eternal notoriety. Stop the presses. The Onion has broken into fiction podcasting, and we're playing a very fatal murder right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. We are in the middle of about a million different takes on true crime right now, spurred on by the titanic success of the first season of Serial in 2014. It's been a long, strange four years which have seen the explosive growth of the podcast, but also the explosive growth of Serial-inspired crime content. Some of it's great. Some of it's not so great. Some of it I was personally involved with, like the musical parody Wait, Wait, Don't Kill Me, which I presented in Season 1 of Secrets, Crimes, and Audio Tape on the Wondery Network. What we have here today is something different. This is the first thing that I've heard that parodies the actual format of the high-minded public radio true crime podcast, and I know that there have been others out there, but I haven't heard them yet. This is The Onion's A Very Fatal Murder. Created by veterans of The Onion's online video shop, this was new territory for them. It combines elements of multiple public radio narrative nonfiction shows, not just the This American Lifestyle of Serial, but the literary air of S-Town, too, to say nothing of its various television influences. It's a tough balance to strike. But I think they really did it right. A Very Fatal Murder is immersive, ridiculous, and incisive. The whole thing clocks in at about 70 minutes. It hits it and quits it. I don't think it overstays its welcome. So, we're going to play the first episode of A Very Fatal Murder, but I encourage you to seek it out and binge it straight away. And after the feature, stay tuned for my biggest interview in history! Strap in, kids. Here we go with episode one. A perfect murder. What makes a murder perfect? What elevates a murder from a regular ho-hum killing to a crime so gruesome and compelling that it deserves its own podcast? Does a murder like that even exist? Is it somewhere out there, waiting to be found the next time I open a letter from a convict or the next time I rest myself out of bed at 2 a.m. to check the Google alert I set for the word decapitated? Or is it just a fantasy? A wild goose chase that will end in nothing but run-of-the-mill kidnappings, dull acts of sexual bondage, or the same old mass murder suicides that say nothing about the fabric of America in the 21st century. Is it all just a beautiful dream? I'm David Pascal, and I've been asking myself these questions for years. For the first time, I finally have some answers. Hey, Ethel. Hello, David. What would you like me to do today? A. Go online. B. Access my homicide locator function. C. Send email. D. Play music. B. Okay, David. Retrieving homicides. This is Ethel. That stands for Extremely Timely Homicide Locator, by the way. Ethel's a supercomputer. Onion Public Radio hired a team of engineers at MIT to build her, 
in order to help us find the most interesting, violent, culturally relevant murder cases in America. We've programmed Ethel so that not only can she comb through thousands of murders in a matter of minutes, but she can also update her own code based on what would make the most incisive, critically acclaimed OPR podcast. She's always learning. David, I have some murders that involve the resentment of the white working class. Would you like me to print to North Printer? Yes. I've been working with Ethel for three years trying to find the perfect case. We never stop pushing. Homicide 30971B, Joshua Diamond. Kidnapped by stepfather in 1987. Severed head found in laundry machine. Hmm. Ethel, can you set a filter for female victims only? Ethel's settings can be adjusted to search for any number of factors. For example, we thought we had found our podcast when Ethel located the case of a girl who was raped and killed on the night of her 16th birthday, but we thought the situation didn't say enough about the decline of the middle class, so we changed the algorithm. Update complete. Please restart computer. Then, about a year ago, we thought we had it. It was a case that involved a whole group of coal miners, who were probably illiterate, but in a way that's charming and perfect, who went missing during a strike. The ideal case. We even started doing some preliminary interviews. Nobody ain't telling us nothing. Nope. They act like they just gone fishing or something, oh, no. but we know. We know. They killed him. They ain't fishing. I miss my daddy. I miss my But then our sponsor, Hillamunk Cheese, pulled out because they were dealing with a labor dispute of their own. After years of work, we were back to square one. But we didn't give up. Instead, we got better. We kept tweaking Ethel hoping that the perfect murder was out there somewhere. Retrieving homicides. Then, finally, after years of searching for the perfect murder, a murder that's engrossing and mysterious, a murder that perfectly reflects our nation's current economic and social conditions, a murder that comments on the past and future of intersectional feminism, a murder in which a really hot white girl dies. Homicide 9924R, Haley Price. We found Haley Price. Haley Price was a typical 17-year-old with big dreams and clear skin when she was killed. She was a high achiever, a debate champion, a prom queen, a doting girlfriend. But Haley also excelled at being murdered. One chilly Thursday morning in May, Haley was found on the floor of the local bottle cap factory that her father worked at. What's more, she was dead. Haley's case fulfilled every one of the requirements we had plugged into Ethel. It was gruesome. It was unsolved. It commented on the ugly underbelly of the American dream, the decline of manufacturing, modern beauty standards, the gig economy, factory farming, deforestation, saturated fats, the fragility of love, the golden era of television, and CO2 emissions. And most importantly, no one had done a podcast about it yet. 100% match. Retrieving coroner's report. The coroner's report the Bluff Springs Police Department provided states that Haley Price was shot three times in the head. She had multiple stab wounds. She was strangled and smothered with a pillow. She was soaking wet and had clearly been drowned. She had dirt of the same composition found on Mars under her fingernails. She had been dead for seven hours when her body was found, but her fingernails had been painted 15 minutes ago. She was wearing the class ring of a boy who wasn't her boyfriend, Brian, even though he's a great guy and deserves way better. She had scratches on her arms and a bite mark on her leg. She was wearing a shirt that, according to her best friend, Alex, was super ugly and not her style at all. Her hair? had been cut into a Beatles mop top. So what happened to Haley Price? And how can I get in on it? It's a full moon! Horrible. Just horrible. I'd keep an eye on Callaway if I were you. What do you mean Haley's dead? Oh my god, you didn't know? 
From The Onion and Onion Public Radio, I'm David Pascal, and this is A Very Fatal Murder. Morning there. Can I get you a seat? Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. Bluff Springs, Nebraska is a small town, not much more than a collection of barns and cars, but the people who live here love it. And if you're the kind of person who watches CBS and likes organized religion, it's easy to see why. Bluff Springs is safe. It's the kind of town where no one locks their door, and parents don't have to worry about letting their kids walk their hogs around the neighborhood at night. That's why it was so shocking to the people of Fluff Springs when this happened. 911, what's your emergency? Uh, I'm at the factory. It's Haley Price, and she's dead. When Haley was murdered, it shook this town to its core. After all, most of the people who live here had never met a podcast host, let alone a podcast host from New York City. They weren't used to stuff like this. I just can't imagine anyone in this town doing a thing like that. It's real sad. It's got everyone feeling on edge, you know? Everyone's kind of jumpy, I think. Horrible. Just horrible. Have you ever been interviewed for a podcast before? Well, I, I don't believe so. Life here is quiet. It's simple. A lot of the families in Bluff Springs have been here for generations. And as I drove through town and passed yet another novelty mailbox painted to look like a rooster, I couldn't help thinking... Evolution is a funny thing. The town's main road is lined by a few small businesses, a pet store, a post office. Haley's High School is there, too. It's the type of school where the football field is bigger than the chemistry lab, and kids learn to throw a baseball before they take the SATs. The bottle cap factory where Haley was found is on this road, too, and a single wind turbine, which I assume provides the town's only energy and entertainment, is just about a mile off it. On the side of the turbine, the name W.O. Calloway is painted in rusty red. You notice it right away when you take the Bluff Springs exit off the interstate. Since I got to town, I've been seeing this name everywhere. That's Callaway's turbine, yeah. Callaway? Sure, he owns just about the whole town, I guess. Factory, turbine. He owns my house. Uh, the pet store. Owns that seat you're sitting on. That huge freaking mansion? You seen that? That's Callaway's. It's basically Fort Knox. I saw him once being carried between two of his helicopters. I think he's fifth in line to be the king of the Netherlands or something. Heard he only eats goat. What's he like? Callaway? I've got no clue. Never met him. Never even seen him. Now, this is something I heard from a lot of people. W.O. Callaway looms large here, despite the fact that not many people have actually met him. Most people in Bluff Springs are employed by Callaway, either at the bottle cap factory or in one of his other businesses. But it is strange in a town like this, a town where neighbors stand in their yards talking and no one has HBO, that most people have never met their employer. Why? Could he be hiding something? And if so, what? Is he just an introvert? Or maybe he's gay and afraid to come out of the closet because the town will probably give him the chair for it. Or maybe he's a murderer. You all set, hon? Yeah, thanks. Hey, actually, do you know anything about W.O. Calloway? Have you heard of him? Well, he owns this diner for one thing. Never comes in, though. Always has his assistant come pick him up this potato salad sandwich he made us add to the menu. But I heard he only eats goat. (laughs) Haven't seen a goat in this town since 73. Really? Well, then I'll have one potato salad sandwich, please. I was starting to get to know Bluff Springs, but I still wanted to get to know Haley. So after I checked into my hotel and sent the OPR interns to pitch their tents on the side of the road, I went to talk to Haley's parents. This episode of A Very Fatal Murder is brought to you by Complete Meal. Complete Meal delivers perfectly portioned fresh ingredients to your home, along with professional chefs to cook them, spoon them into your mouth, and move your jaw in a grinding motion. No more guesswork and stress when it comes to making, eating, and digesting dinner. Complete Meal chefs will even let you know when it's time to say, mmm, good, and I'm full. 
complete meal. She was just a happy kid, you know. And she would just come home and say, Daddy, I want to be an astronaut, or Daddy, I want to be a vet. I, I want to have ten horses, Daddy. She was our little dreamer. <laughs> I'm interviewing Haley's parents, John and Bethany Price, in their home in Bluff Springs. There are little hints of Haley everywhere, from the picture of her on the mantle to the couch she probably used to make out with her boyfriend Brian on. This must be really hard to talk about. It's been the worst month of our lives, as I'm sure you can imagine. Yeah, you must have cried so much. <laughs> yeah, yes. I just wish I could have been there. Haley was just, she was this bright light in everyone's lives. And she was going to be a vet. She wanted to go away to vet school and then come back and open a practice here. She worked at the pet store. She just loved animals. And people, too. Would you mind passing me that box of tissues? Actually, your sniffles are, are coming through really well on the mic, so let's just stay on this. Um, Mr. Price, would you mind talking more about Haley's hopes and dreams for the future? Well, she just, she was going to go off to college. You know, had her pick a school. Oh, did she apply to NYU? That's my alma mater. No, she was going to stay in state. Haley was really a home. Oh, that's a shame. I really think she would have loved it. The prices seemed to be responding really well to memories of their dead daughter. So I asked them to show me Haley's room, which they had kept perfectly preserved since her death. It was a typical 17-year-old girl's room, plastered with photos of Haley and her friends, pictures drawn by the little girl she used to babysit, and magazine clippings. She was really an artistic kid. You know, she loved music. She liked buying all the fashion magazines. And she was always, you know, cutting pictures out and changing her wall around and all that. Yeah, I was kind of an art kid, too. I mean, I definitely hung out with everyone. I could easily jump between groups, but art was probably my main thing. Oh, was that Haley at prom last year? Oh, yep, there she is. The prom queen herself. She loved taking pictures of her friends. Oh, and there's Orlando Bloom. Oh, he's great. And now it's time for a word from our sponsor, BoxBox. Actually, would you mind just reading this? Uh, what? And if you have any personal experience using BoxBox, uh, you could add that if it's positive, of course. Um, BoxBox is the service that sends a brand new box to your door every month. With BoxBox, you'll never need to drive hundreds of miles and pay hundreds of dollars for a box again. Sign up for BoxBox by going to BoxBox.com and entering our promo code Haley. For 10% off your first box box. Box box. Is that okay? Awesome. Um, have you ever ordered these? No. Oh, well, let me know if you do, because I think if you order one, I get one for free. I was starting to get a more complete picture of Haley. To the people who know her, she wasn't just a perfect murder case. She was a girl with dreams of leaving her middle-of-nowhere town and traveling to New York City. She dreamed of attending cultural events and literary readings. But that dream will never become a reality. Never will Haley return home after a long day of freelance journalism to her live-in boyfriend and miniature poodle. Never will she lie on the roof of her bedsty walk-up with her college friends, taking in the glory of the city around her. Her life was cut short. And for what? After talking to Haley's parents, I knew what I had to do. I had to make the best podcast ever produced. I had to get more downloads and iTunes reviews than any podcast in history. I had to win awards. I could not let Haley die in vain. Coming up this season on A Very Fatal Murder. You are 
receiving a call from Bluff County Jail. I can't believe she actually died. It's so gross. That's very strange, David. Things do not add up. The full moon! Oh, fuck, run! You may now kiss the bride. I loved her so much, dude. But she never wanted to play paintball. Now I might never find out why. Visit our website to find pictures of Haley and sign up for OPR Plus to get access to pictures of Haley's corpse and hundreds of other corpses for just $5 a month. A Very Fatal Murder is brought to you by me, David Pascal, and Onion Public Radio. This podcast was made possible by the Make-A-Wish Foundation, Hillamonk Cheese, and listeners more generous than you. So when I said earlier that I got to pull off my biggest interview yet, I wasn't kidding. For A Very Fatal Murder, I talked to four people at once. So you'll hear from the assistant director and the director, Fran Hoffner and Ryan Natali, as well as two writers on the project, David Sidorov and Louisa Kellogg. Sidorov will sound familiar to you because he's also the voice of David Pascal from the show. If it helps to differentiate their voices, David and Louisa were sharing a microphone, so their environment will sound different from Fran or Ryan. But if you get everyone's voices confused, don't worry about it. They're not going to test you on it, and neither will I. So, let's take a listen. Fran, Ryan, David, Louisa, all of you welcome to Radio Drama Revival. It is such a pleasure to have you all on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you you for having us. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I'm going to, since there's four of you, I'm going to start by lobbing a question at just one of you, and then we'll open it up for discussion. So my first question, David, is for you. I'm curious about the sort of research that you did to develop your NPR voice. Now, you'd said in a previous interview that when you started working on the show as a writer, you didn't realize you were going to be cast later. But there's a series of very specific choices that go into an impression like that because a piece of public radio nonfiction has this very particular kind of register. So I wonder if you could tell me what you were thinking as you developed this David Pascal voice. That is a great question. And that's true. I did not know that I was going to be playing this character while the writing was happening. But I will say that, like, the scripts were in a place where, like, you kind of just got a sense of who this guy was as you were reading it. I mean, I listened to Serial and S-Town, but I don't think I was do. I wasn't trying consciously to do an impression of anybody with this. I had made a few on my own, like, these, like, kind of parody, like, theory videos about things. That was okay. like this character called Kyle and and Ryan, who's also here, <laughs> uh, sort of while we were recording, he might be trying to make it a little bit more like that guy. So it was, there was a character I had done before that I would not say is, is super similar to this, but like maybe a little bit in the vocal register. Also, I, I mean, it is kind of just my voice. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I, I don't really consider sure. myself an actor and like. I was definitely kind of nervous going into this because I loved the script so much and wanted to do a good job. But I don't know. At the end of the day, I think it was kind of my voice reading it. <laughs> have Have any of you ever heard the Casper Hauser This American Life parodies? Yes, I have oh, heard some of those. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. What's interesting to me about like the narrative nonfiction NPR voice is that I think it's constructed deliberately in opposition to the, like, Walter Cronkite, Brian Williams kind of, I am a newsman telling you the news with this very particular kind of authoritative ethos. And then it just kind of yanks it in this other direction. Yes. It's very curious, even on things that are not, like, things that are just statements. Yeah. That should feel, yeah. Like, casual 
for yeah for really no reason sometimes like right. when they are just telling you facts it's still very conversational and very like oh I'm just like thinking of how to word this now and you know what like I just thought of this other thing right oh I think they're trying to sound like your friend a lot of the time yeah it just seems cooler to be like I don't know that much. I'm a reporter, but like, I'm bringing you along, you know? Right. That's the vibe of the whole thing is like, I'm not an expert. And that's why you're able to get hooked into this is because you could see yourself getting kind of obsessed (laughs) with something like this. Yeah. Anyone could solve a murder. Yes. Right. Fran, I have a question for you. Uh, You had said elsewhere that earlier drafts of the story had a lot more teen characters in Bluff Springs (laughs) to go alongside Skiff and Brian. (laughs) Tell me about Fran's discarded teens. What are the characters that didn't make it into the final script? Oh, my God. Well, I think that's for me and Louisa, because Louisa and I both care a lot about teens broadly. Tell me if I've slandered you, Louisa, at no, any point. I... But I think, I think there was like a whole sort of built-out world. It was sort of the same group of characters. It was, you know, your Skiff, your Alex... You're Dylan, but I think we just had more about like what these guys were constantly yeah, getting up to about like what they would do when they hung out and like their weird rituals. And like, it was funny. It really made us laugh. But we looked at all the scripts and we were like, this is very distracting and it's like not moving the story forward. <laughs> um, so, you know, I would love to do a podcast about teens, but like that wasn't what this was about. Fran, in an interview with CNET, you had said uh, you wanted to have a host that treated Bluff Springs like an alien planet. Um, There's been this impulse, I think, since the 2016 election, especially on the part of the New York Times, for example, to take these tours of parts of the U.S. They call it Trump country and then condescendingly say, ah, yes, these simple people are still with the president. Right. This like call to understand blue collar America. I'm, I'm curious what you all imagine David Pascal has been reading. And Ryan, since we haven't heard from you a bunch yet, let's let's start with you. What informs that character and how he conceives of Nebraska or places broadly outside of New York? I mean, I think it's mostly just his love for New York and his um, not really wanting to be anywhere else no matter where it is. <laughs> yeah, I think it's less coming from a place of what he doesn't like or like what he's reading and more just how much he loves the greatest city on earth. Yeah, and I think he's kind of, to a certain extent, like, gets off on going to this place that he thinks is like a foreign country. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, that kind of plays into what we were talking about with that, like, curious energy. Like, he thinks everything is weird. Yeah, Um, he thinks that small town life is, like, so beneath him and gross, but, like, only he can see the beauty in it. And, like, he's going to show America why really it's like a beautiful place. And like he can do that because he's from New York. The elegant simplicity of an elephant ear. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And also being in these places is also an extremely important aspect of making the perfect podcast. In order to make the perfect podcast, you have to go to these places. And that's like his ultimate goal. He's never seen ring toss before. Yeah, (laughs) it's an amazing thing. (laughs) And they enjoy it so much. That's so special that they, they find joy in the simple tossing of a ring. I think, I think one of the moments that really sold me on the series was the moment in the first episode where Haley's mother reads the ad for Box Box. <laughs> I, I want you to tell me what you feel about the absurdity of selling ads against the content of true crime shows. Yeah, I mean, I think 
This is Louisa, by the way. Um, I I don't like blame these shows for having ads. I mean, they have to make money to make their shows. I think it's just kind of 